Well, happy Thanksgiving to you all. I hope that you are filled with joy and thanksgiving today. Uh, the weather has been beautiful this past uh, number of weeks, and a uh, nice rain today. Uh, but it's been no secret that there are no shortage of things in our lives that seek to rob us of our joy. You know, the temptation to gripe and to complain and to hold grudges can find us almost anywhere and with pretty much anything. And we all have uh, pet peeves and things that annoy us. Uh, the temptation to complain and feel discouraged about uh, things such as our appearance uh, can be very real and prevalent. It's easy to complain about uh, not having enough stuff, not enough money, not enough stuff, not about, you know, maybe our health isn't good enough. And then there are our circumstances in life. Now, I have struggled at various times over this past year, specifically with uh, the many different changes to our public health restrictions. Now, my wife, Paige, she can testify that uh, each change in restrictions kind of caused me to feel quite down and discouraged, sometimes for a couple of days. Because each change kind of meant we're going back and figuring out how we're going to do this again in, in church and specifically with, uh, with, with our youth nights. And so if I'm honest, it was pretty easy to complain and to blame. And I'm sure some of you probably felt the same. And then thinking about all the things that we can complain about in this life, then you open your news app or wherever you get your news and the headlines that, uh, that I typically click on each day you know, are kind of similar um, and it's mostly bad news. Bad news about the virus, bad news about politics, bad news about the climate, uh, whatever else you might find. And then you go to work or to school, and what do you find? The typical conversation? Generally more of the same. All that stuff that's intent on causing complaining and more and more division. And the effects of this have been quite noticeable. And so this mental health illnesses have been on the rise Alcohol and drug abuse has increased, and then there's also the tension between family and friends, which has also increased. Stuff we've talked about over the last number of weeks and months. And all that stuff that's been going on has really amplified over, amplified the, the issues and concerns that we're, that we're going through. And as we embrace this Thanksgiving weekend, which I'm looking forward to, there are also families that are struggling to know how to celebrate this season with all the current restrictions. Um, but it's Thanksgiving, and so with uh, all, that's going, all of that that is going on, if a thankful and joy-filled heart, if that's dependent on our circumstances, then we're in big trouble, because at least compared to what we would consider normal, our circumstances have been far from ideal. But what if this doesn't have to be the case? What if a joy-filled and thankful heart does not have to be dependent on our circumstances. And so we asked the question this morning, how can we be thankful and joy-filled when our circumstances in life are less than ideal? So this morning we're going to take a look at uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, Paul wrote this letter in the year 61 AD, approximately, and in this relatively short letter, uh, there is this prevailing theme of joy and thankfulness that runs throughout the whole letter, through all four chapters. 
And what is especially ironic about this is the fact that Paul was not writing from like some beach vacation house. He was not writing from some restful sabbatical. Paul didn't have those. Paul was writing from a, a prison cell, most likely in Rome. And Paul spent uh, time in prison on a few different occasions, and each prison sentence was directly because of his faithful sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, preaching that Jesus was the one true God, preaching that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and prophets, preaching that Jesus is the only way to be saved, this led to some pretty serious opposition. Now, the Jewish, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they wanted him dead because, according to their beliefs, what Paul was preaching was heresy. But there were others, too, that were having major problems with Paul. In a different case, there was a group of Gentile craftsmen. And these guys nearly started a riot in their opposition of Paul. Uh, these craftsmen, they made a living uh, by making and selling idols. And so there would have been no problem if Paul had proclaimed that Jesus was just one of the many gods out there. In fact, that probably would, would have been good for their business. But by proclaiming that Jesus is the only true God, that he is the only way to be saved, well, this caused some big, this could have caused a lot of disruption for their business. And therefore, it caused some pretty serious opposition. And so here's Paul. The man who has dedicated his life to sharing the good news of Jesus with people all over, here he is sitting in a prison because of his faithfulness to God. His freedom is gone, his comforts are gone, his ability to continue his missionary journeys are gone. And so it would have been very easy, confined in that prison, to, it would have been easy to blame God for his troubles. It would have been easy to feel as though his purpose was gone, or even feel a loss of identity, because Paul was a missionary, through and through. He made numerous trips to all kinds of cities all over the world. He planted all kinds of churches, but Paul's identity was not wrapped up in what he did. Paul's identity was found in who he, who he was, namely who he was in Christ. And he knew that his purpose was not tied to his own goals and pursuits. His purpose was found in Christ. And so if God closed the door, if God closed one door, he would open another. That was Paul's perspective. His joy was not found in his circumstances. The source of his joy goes so much deeper. So let's read together. This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, and I'll be reading from the NLT. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there. Philippians 1, 12 to 26. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others, they preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I have been appointed to, de to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. But well, that doesn't matter. 
Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, and so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which is better for me. But for your sakes, I think, it's, I think that I, it's better if I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. I love the optimistic and joyful perspective that Paul has here. But let's be real for a moment. What Paul has experienced in his life leading up to this, to this imprisonment has not been pleasant. If joy and thankfulness is dependent on our circumstances, then Paul would have been one angry and bitter dude. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul shares this list of some of the many hardships that he has experienced. Five times he was flogged. Uh, Three times he was beaten with rods. He was unjustly thrown in prison. People tried to stone him to death and, and nearly succeeded. He was shipwrecked. He spent time on the run. He went through all kinds of other challenges and difficulties. His old friends, the Pharisees, Paul used to be a Pharisee, so his old friends, I mean, they would have spoken every cruel thing you can imagine at Paul, not just behind his back, but to his face as well. This is not the story of a person that you would assume to be full of thankfulness and joy. And hearing this list, it would have been so easy to be bitter and to lose hope and to even blame God for these troubles. But this letter, you know, written from his prison cell, shackled to guards, it's just teeming with hope and with joy and with thanksgiving. It's in every chapter, in every little section. And Paul is not writing to the Philippians to tell them how to have joy, but as he wrote it, the joy just kept bubbling and spilling over. And throughout the letter, it's evident the source of Paul's joy, Christ. So this letter to the Philippians, it has four chapters, and there's 104 verses. And in these verses, the name of Christ, or a pronoun referring to Christ, is found 61 times. As a result, uh, the hearers of his letter, they would be faced with the revelation that joy is not found in a person's circumstances. Joy is not found in their possessions. It's not found in their position or their status in life. Joy is not found in pleasures of life, such as food or sex or whatever it would be. Nor is it found in the number of friends or people you know. It's not found in the newest boyfriend or girlfriend. Lasting and genuine joy is found in relationship with Jesus Christ, our Maker and our Lord. And so in in verses 12 to 14, Paul says, Everything that has happened to me here... I'll read that again. Everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news 
So being thrown in prison has helped to spread the good news. That's what he's saying. It takes faith to see that. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So just take notice of that perspective. He was so filled with joy that rather than having this, you know, woe is me kind of attitude, his attention is off of himself, and he's recognizing that his imprisonment uh, has emboldened others to share the good news of Jesus. And then in verses 15 to 19, Paul speaks of some other issues that uh, would have caused a lot of, could have caused him a lot of grief and frustration. And who knows, it, it possibly did for a bit. He was human after all. Other people, this is the situation, other people were, were preaching about Jesus, but they were doing it to build their own reputation. Uh, they were doing it to gain honor for themselves. They were doing it for selfish reasons. And so here's Paul. He, is, he suffered all kinds of beatings and pain for the sake of spreading the gospel. He's now in prison for it. His freedom is gone, and now these other people are trying to take advantage of this and make a name for themselves. <sighs> Frustrating, I would imagine. imagine. Imagine staying up late for days working on some assignment, some project, or whatever it is, and then the day that you have to you know, present this project, you can't make it for whatever reason, and so your teammates, who did like no work on this thing, they, uh, they present it and get all the credit. Right? <laughs> Maybe a petty example, but it would have been so easy to become angry and bitter and resentful. But considering Paul's perspective and his, his joyful attitude, he must have surrendered these feelings and these frustrations to God, recognizing that, that he has no power or control over what other people will do. And therefore, with, with open hands, he trusts God with the situation. And at the end of the day, regardless of their motives, he's just thankful the good news of Jesus is being preached. How's that for an attitude? And I wonder how many of us can say, say the same thing about our circumstances. Do we have faith to see how God will redeem and work good through our frustrations and difficulties? A number of years ago, um, Paige and I were invited to a Thanksgiving meal at someone's house. And I remember uh, we were driving eastbound on Mackenzie Avenue when Paige noticed something on the road up ahead. It was pretty hard to see what exactly what it was from the distance we were, but as we got closer... I noticed there was some guy parked on the opposite side of the street, and he was kind of walking toward the path that I was driving. And I had my eye on him to kind of make sure he wasn't going to walk right into my path. And as we got closer uh, to this object, Paige suddenly realized what it was. It was a pie plate. Now, he must have put it on the roof of his car, and he's got into his car and drove away. He must have forgot it up there, and then only to have it drive or fall off as he was driving. This was his Thanksgiving pie. That was in no doubt that he was taken to his Thanksgiving gathering right there in the middle of Mackenzie Avenue. And I was looking at the guy, and I was looking at the pie, and I'm, I'm suddenly putting the whole picture together. You ever have those moments where the picture kind of comes to you too late? Well put it all together. I quickly turned the wheel, discovering what was going on. 
And then I heard it. The look on Paige's face kind of said it all. And then she said it out loud, You drove over that guy's pie! Yeah. Now, I love pie. I would never do that on purpose. But I was so stunned and horrified. I didn't know what, I just kept, I just kept going. And while this guy crossing the street to get his lost pie, he stood there with his hands on his head in disbelief. What had just happened? And so to the guy whose pie I drove over, I don't know if you're listening today, but I'm so sorry. It may have looked intentional, but I assure you it was not. And you may be wondering today why I share that story. Uh, Paige and I think about that story every year at Thanksgiving, and we can't help chuckling at the absurdity of the whole thing. But my thoughts often go to this guy standing there, standing there with his hands on his head, mourning his lost pie. Now, if I could go back, I would, uh, I would have stopped apologized profusely and offered to buy him a new pie. Um, but I wonder how he processed that whole experience, that whole event. Did he complain about it to everyone that he saw that day? Uh, did the lack of dessert cause others to complain? Or did he curse all the bad drivers in this town? I don't know. Or can he remember that story and enjoy the fact that he has a good story to tell every time he bites into some Thanksgiving pie. Or better yet, can the loss of the Thanksgiving pie be a reminder of the many things in life that are worth so much more? I sure hope so. If you were to scan the, the rest of the book of Philippians, here's a bit of what you'll notice about the source of Paul's joy and thankfulness. Paul's joy and thankfulness is found in who our God is. And there is this beautiful section in chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, that speaks of the glory and the humility of Christ. Give thanks, for this is who our God is. Then later in chapter 2, verses 19 to 30, Paul is just beaming because of his, his friends and co-workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Stuck in that prison, Paul is just overwhelmed with thankfulness for those whom God has put in his life. Right, these are the people that were able to minister, him, minister to him while he was in prison. Then in 3 verse 8, Paul highlights that his relationship with Jesus is worth so much more than whatever it is that he has gone through, all the imprisonment, all the, all, all the suffering he's done, experienced. Then thinking about his status and position, in 3 verse 20, he testifies that his joy rests in the fact that he is a citizen of heaven. All right, that's his ultimate home, and that's worth celebrating and being thankful. Then in 4 verse 13, you know, thinking about his present circumstances and the many trials that he has gone through, his contentment and his strength is found in Christ, and for this he gives thanks. So in case you missed it, Jesus Christ is the source of Paul's hope, his joy, and thanksgiving. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Right? And there is only one way this is possible, and it's through faith in Jesus. Faith that he is good. And as Romans 8.28 says, 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Faith gives us the ability to see beyond our circumstances. Faith looks for the next open door when the first one closes before you. Faith looks ahead to eternal life and the reward that is waiting for us in Christ Jesus. Faith helps us remember that our identity is not shaped by what we do, not by what has been done to us or what we have gone through. Faith reminds us that our identity is connected to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because in Christ we have been forgiven, we have been justified, we are dearly loved by our Savior who has given his life for us. And this Savior has put us on mission. Jesus cares about what happens to you. He cares about what's going on in your life. And sitting in that prison, Paul's freedom may have been gone. He may have been chained to this rotating shift of guards. But in faith, he embraced his new circumstances as the mission field that God has placed him on. And it takes faith to see that open door when times are tough. And this prison sentence, it may have prevented him from visiting all those churches that he had planted, but this prison sentence had a far greater and far more profound purpose than he could have possibly imagined. Being stuck in that prison enabled him to write these letters to the churches that still encourage us today, nearly 2,000 years later. One door may have closed, but another door has opened up. And for this he is thankful and rejoices. And so how can we have a similar mindset to Paul? How can we be thankful and joy-filled even when our circumstances may not be all that ideal? And so I'd like to offer three practical ways that we can aim toward this. Number one, reflect on what is eternal. Secondly, express thankfulness in prayer. And third, express thankfulness to others. So number one, reflect on what is eternal. Our awesome God and who we are because of who he is. And that is reason to be thankful. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into this world that he made to free us from sin, to restore us into relationship with God, and to invite us to partner with him in extending his kingdom to the world. Our God is a God of grace and mercy and love. The all-powerful God, the redeeming one, who is always in the business of taking bad circumstances and bringing good out of them. We can look no further than the cross to see how Jesus does this. And God invites us to open our eyes to see the opportunities before us. Because of that, we can have hope. And when this life is over, because of Jesus Christ, we also have a future that will never spoil or fade. A future where, with God where there will never again be any sin, any shame, any pain, any viruses, or anything like that. And Paul speaks about this hope in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, when he says, For to me... Living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I love that tension. But Paul's joy and his confidence is found in Jesus Christ. And because of the cross of Christ, we have a Savior who is preparing for us an eternal home. We are citizens of heaven, 
as 3 verse 20 says. And therefore, we have an abundant hope. And that should give us reason to be thankful. Secondly, express thanksgiving in prayer. This is how Paul starts his letter, and he pretty much starts all of his letters this way. And we find this practice throughout the Psalms as well. And so here's a practice I invite you to try. In a reflective time of prayer, I invite you to make two lists. In your first column, make a list of everything that you are thankful for. Everything that you can think of. Uh, For what you've been given, uh, for the people in your life, uh, for what God has done in your life, for for, for who you are in Christ, for the characteristics of who our God is. And I invite you to take time on that list. Maybe revisit it throughout the day. And after you've exhausted that list, well, then I invite you to make a list of all of your complaints. The people who annoy you, the stuff you don't have, the things you're not good enough at, all the things that make you feel insecure and fearful, and dare we say it, all that COVID-related stuff as well, whatever it is. Because the truth is, it's there. It's real. And therefore, I invite you to be honest. And don't hold back. Just remember that this list is between you and God, not you and your Facebook friends. My hope is that your thankful list is significantly longer than your complaint list. But then I invite you to take that thankful list to the Lord in prayer and thank God for everything on that list. One item at a time. And then talk to God about everything on your complaint list. Now, a couple weeks ago, I had a bit of a, a vent session with God while I was sitting on my deck. And I can't do this with Paige very often because my venting kind of stresses her out. I don't vent at work too much because I don't really want to spread discouragement a whole lot. Uh, I certainly don't want to vent online. And so I brought it to God. And uh, we see this in the Psalms all the time. God invites this. I was airing out my complaints, as petty as some of them were, let me, be, let me tell you. And what I discovered is time after time, as I do this, God has this miraculous way of transforming my perspective. And there's a kind of healing and reshaping that happens when you vulnerably and openly confess this to the Lord in prayer. And by doing this, you can begin to pull the roots of bitterness out of the garden of your soul. And this must have been what the Apostle Paul had done, because the ability to have a thankful and joyful attitude while stuck in prison, you know, after all the difficulties that he experienced, that's not easy. And this is only through the power of God and with an eternal perspective of faith. And so I invite you to give that a try. And thirdly, Express thankfulness to others. Like the church sign says this week, let's make thankfulness contagious. Thankfulness, rather than criticism, should be our default position because of who we are and because of what Christ has done. And so when you see good things in your life, point them out. Give thanks to God. We are all tempted to complain. We probably all do that more than we like to admit. Sometimes we even feel justified in our complaining. But the more that we gripe and complain to others, the more we kind of spread those negative feelings. 
And there's already enough of that going around. And therefore, practice responding to your own complaining by finding things to be thankful for. Go back to that list you made. And express thankfulness verbally. Right? Express it through writing encouragement notes. Express it through a smile on your face. And if you can't see with the mask, then apparently there's something called smize or something like that where you smile with your eyes. Give that a try. They can probably tell. But make it a regular practice just to say thank you to people in your life. It's so simple, and it's so life-giving to people. And extend a gracious and thankful attitude toward customer service people. I have heard so many uh, horrific and embarrassing stories of people who have been mean and, and verbally abusive to customer service people over this past year. That's a tough job they have, making minimum wage. And that kind of practice is just wrong, and it's a terrible witness. And so remember, they're not the ones making the rules. Just say thank you. Look for ways to brighten someone's day. Seek to empathize with them when things isn't going so well. And as Paul says in, in Philippians, don't grumble or complain. Rather, take note of the countless things to be thankful for. And don't forget the people who are closest to you in your life. Because often the people who are uh, closest to you, we sometimes neglect to express thanks to them. And express thankfulness financially through generosity. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 to 15, Paul speaks of how generosity inspires thankfulness. Right? He was a recipient of it. Uh, it inspires thankfulness both in those who give and in those who receive. And if we look at what we have as something that we have earned, sometimes we hold on to it so tightly. But with a heart of thankfulness rather than entitlement or greed, we are so much more ready to be generous and gracious. Thankfulness is a kind of superpower. And when our eyes and our hearts are directed toward our gracious and loving Savior, it enables us to see past our circumstances, our experiences, and to embrace how God is moving in and among us. And not only are thankful people able to draw strength from gratitude, they're also able to empower others with their perspective as well. Therefore, as you, uh, as you leave this morning, we're going to have communion first, so I'm not going to leave right away, but when you leave this morning, I invite you to stop by some of those large, bright orange sheets that I have placed in the atrium that they say, give thanks. And I invite you to, to take one of the markers on that table and write down some people you're thankful for, write down uh, some of the things you're thankful for, uh, write down some of the characteristics of God that you were thankful for, what God has done in your life. And we'll leave it up to be visible for next week too when we look ahead to our Thanksgiving meal. And I invite you, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that you are good, that you are full of love and grace, that you are a God of peace, that you care about what happens to us, that you care about our circumstances. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to gain that perspective. Lord, I pray that you would equip us, inspire us, and remind us through all the things that we are thankful for so we may spread that to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we move into our time of communion, uh, participating in the Lord's Supper together, 
Uh, we remember and acknowledge together what God has done for us in Christ Jesus.